Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. I'm Flo Lloyd-Hughes. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. On today's show, we assess the state of play with England as they turn to their next World Cup qualifier following a dogged fight with Austria. Also, does it matter that the Lionesses don't have a home ground? We also bid farewell to one of the all-time greats on the international stage, Formiga, but her swan song leaves a sour taste. And we look ahead to Sunday's long-awaited FA Cup final between Arsenal and Chelsea. I am psyched for that, but more of that later. That's a decent effort from distance. That's a very good effort. Eric Cuthbert. Goodness me. Bruno. Van der Sonder drives it across. Brilliant header. Viviana Miedemann. Sunderland. Very cold, windy Sunderland. Rachel, you, you were there. I didn't make it. Um, ended up in Luton instead. Lucky mm-hmm. you. Balance of things. I'm not quite sure what was worse weather-wise. Uh, probably Sunderland. But 10,000 people did, which I was actually really chuffed with because once I saw even the kickoff time I was like 12.30 kickoff on Saturday is not great and then when the weather did what it did with that storm I thought uh oh but actually 10,000 not bad yeah I was pretty impressed with how many turned out given the were they lively as well they sounded alright yeah 
you know, kept them warm, um, shouting and jumping around and doing their Mexican wave, which I know you love. Oh, God, um, start on that. The England band got there a bit late. I think it was 15 minutes in before they started their first song. But um, <laughs> no, it was a good, good atmosphere considering the conditions and all of that stuff. So, yeah, I was impressed with that. Yeah, I think it's it's a weird one, isn't it? Because they're on this almost sort of like weird tour that's not really a tour where they're just sort of playing at random games that they almost like look at a map of England and like, should we play in Southampton? Should we go down on the South Coast? Yeah, let's do that. Should we actually then just like go up to the Northeast? Yeah, and then should we go to like Yorkshire? Yeah, let's do that. It's very random, isn't it? Yeah, I wonder if it's a bit of a um, dartboard situation, map on the wall. Totally, that's what it feels like. And I know there's obviously a long history of women's football in the Northeast and there's still a lot of frustration and and genuine pain, I think, and anger at how that part of the country's been left behind a little bit as women's football's really evolved domestically. No grounds represented at the Euros either. So I can understand it was a real, like, really meant to be like a nice little homecoming. Did it feel like that? Not really, but, you know, maybe I'm the wrong person to ask. But um, it didn't really feel like that. I do find the kind of hopping all over the place thing um, maybe a bit trickier. I could be lambasted for this now. But, you know... It, it's this kind of let's inspire the next generation thing that we're still banging that drum. So boring. And part of me thinks maybe we need a home ground that England can make and build into a fortress. That does not have to be London. That doesn't have to be Wembley. That can be somewhere with decent transport links that, you know, is a decent sized pitch that they can make home. Um, and that way, you know, anytime England plays, you know exactly where it's going to be. But I do think there's like some merit really in kind of, I know the games might seem a bit sporadic, kind of this whole let's chuck a, dart, a dartboard and see where it lands kind of thing. We'll end up with like a random game in Bognor or something. Um, but at the same time, when you think about the sort of roadmap to, you know, Euro 2022, some of the games are going to be played in Southampton. They're going to be played up north in London. Um, so maybe it's just maybe garnering some kind of support. Some interest. Yeah, yeah sort of early days. Yeah, um, be- before the Euros, I like it. It's, you know, I like that kind of garnering interest. Um, maybe after the Euros is maybe the time for a home stadium. I, uh, but then, where, where, if you had to pick one now, where would it be? I'd probably purely for like not having that argument of everyone saying what about the north and everyone saying what about the south. Midlands, somewhere in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Midlands, somewhere that's easy to get Birmingham. to. Birmingham. Yeah, easy transport links. You know. You know People from South have to travel. People from the North have to travel. Um, you both win. Everyone wins. <laughs> yeah. Chloe, anywhere you would go? I think I'd probably say Brighton. Oh, I like that vibe. Yeah, a little bit different. But I think obviously given the history of the women's game, how inclusive it is, obviously it's a massive thing about the LGBTQ plus community. I just think it just seems like a very, you know, close, like the transport links are incredible, close to London, which is kind of where, you know, the men's obviously national team is. And, and I kind yeah, of like that, that a lot. Could, um, yeah, yeah. That, could, that could fly. And I th- I'm really excited for that England group game at the Euros that's going to be in Brighton. And I'm going to plug it now. Going to be doing a club night in Brighton that night. Details Ooh, to come. Are you DJing? Your, no, but we're going to be running an LGBTQ inclusive club night for charity. Um, I think we're going to call it their lesbian, Stacey. Um, it's, it's all early, early planning stage now, but... Listener, if you're up for it, if you're in Brighton, come down after the England game at the Amex. But anyway, back to the football. Um, Tough conditions, bit of a sort of frustrating performance in many ways. Not what we're sort of used to seeing, obviously, under Serena Vigman's England so far with that kind of free scoring, freedom. But at the same time, this is by far the hardest game that they were going to play. And they've got Austria in their Euros group next year. 
it was probably a good test to be frustrated because they hadn't really been frustrated apart from that first half against All Ireland. Yeah, I think it was quite a slow pace game. There didn't seem to be a real sense of urgency. And I think when you're playing against teams that are so defensive, you need to move the ball quickly in order to create space. And they weren't really doing that. So all Austria had to do was just kind of shuffle back, back and forth yeah. and keep their position and really frustrated England. I know we've talked about them scoring a lot of goals in their previous fixtures, but they've also had a lot of shots that they haven't converted. They're so, averaging like 40 a game at the moment or something ridiculous. Yeah, so while 10-0 looks amazing, that's still potentially 30 they're missing. So I still think there's an edge that we're missing. Uh, Serena talks about being ruthless. Um, and I think maybe that's why we're seeing some of the same players playing these games. Um, she's like, you're not being ruthless and I will keep playing you until you're ruthless. It's like they, she wants scoring to be a habit. like mm. a really, And they didn't have that under Phil Neville. Um, and maybe in the short space of time she has before the Euros, that's what she's trying to drill into them. That when you get the ball, you go forward, you score a goal. And that is becoming something you do on the reg so that when they play the bigger teams, it's less daunting. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think um, there were so many missed opportunities, I think, in that in the Austria game um, to convert. And I just think, you know, when you've got a game like that, they're 21st in, in the world, we sh- really should be doing a lot better. Um, and I know obviously off the back of, you know, the games that we have had, we're winning 10-0, 8-0, you know, they're sort of quite easy games, but you're expecting that we're going to be, you know, running riot at the, those type of games. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a shame really that we've not had sort of bigger competition in the group stages to kind of really test where, where the Lionesses are at at the moment. But obviously that's going to, that's going to come. But yeah, I do think there needs to be more tenacity in front of goal because it's it's all well and good, you know, firing 10 goals, um, you know, for, for the easier squads. But but when it comes to the big the big guns, we need to be putting those away for sure. I think also there is a frustration that a lot of players who are playing really well in the league right now aren't being given the opportunity to carry over that form in on international duty. Lauren Hemp, there's still a lot of of the ball that she's getting with England, but she's still yet to get her first England goal. And she's been critical for any good football that City have played this season. Fran Kirby, not being played in the right position yet, really, under Serena Vigman. I know you have a lot of thoughts on that, Rachel, but we're just not seeing all these players transform really exciting things that they're doing for their clubs into international duty. Ella Toon as well. She did score a hat-trick against, uh, was it Luxembourg or Latvia? One of those, Latvia. Um, But yeah, I just feel like there's something a little bit missing in there. Yeah, but then it's also how they're used in club versus how they're used in country. Yeah, totally. Um, You wrote an article about uh, Alan White and the kind of stats for for Man City and you talked about Lauren Hemp and the number of crosses that are being put in isn't actually that many. Mm. Um, And I think it's a similar thing for England in that she is great for getting down the wing, getting at at defenders and getting the ball into the right kind of position. But it's it's what happens then, who's supporting her to get that into the box and to make that a goal. And there's a similar thing there at Man City. So I think there's something to tap into there with the kind of finished product with um, Lauren Hemp. Fran Kirby playing amazing up front for Chelsea, being picked on form and then being put in a number eight role. Mm. You know, we, we Free her! Free <laughs> Fran Kirby! Well, we talked a lot about this before the game about, you know, Fran Kirby, she is great, but she's not a number eight. Um, and then she went and played amazing on uh, in the game, but against um, Austria. And I think that's probably because she didn't actually stick to her role. Yeah, she kind of pushed much higher up. Yeah, she? I think where we might be exposed is when you've got the likes of Ella Toon and Fran Kirby playing in midfield with Kira Walsh and both of them with that desire to drive forward. You're leaving us exposed in midfield, um, which I think could be problematic against tougher opposition. So the likes of Jordan Nobbs is someone, in my opinion, that would need to come in to shore that up a little bit and provide a little bit more cover. I think she's the missing link in midfield. 
The yeah, midfield I mean, is looking very light at the moment, isn't it? And I understand why Serena Vigman's essentially looking at her squad and saying, we've got a lot of forwards playing very well in the league right now. Let's try and play them all. And and obviously against weaker opposition, why not? But at the same time, you're right, Rachel, when you do play much tougher teams like they're going to play in February in that little mini tournament, they're going to be exposed. And that midfield needs a little bit of heartiness to it because Kira Walsh can't be carrying that whole thing. As I think when you've got that exposure in the midfield, obviously that carries through through to the defence. And I think, you know, there were a couple of chances that Austria had in in that game to to really equalise things up. I mean... There was a couple of situations where there were three on two at the back and you're thinking, OK, well, you know, against the better side, they're going to convert those chances. And if it wasn't for, you know, Erps, who sort of seemed to find form after the uh, a couple of couple of dodgy um, performances recently, um, yeah, it, we might not have won that game, which would have been quite embarrassing, I think. And also missing Leah Williamson, who's been stepping up into more of a def- defensive midfield position, that, you know, you're going to lose that when you when you lose her and she's such a, a key player for England. And I think the way she's been used under Sri Vigman has been brilliant. I mean, speaking of Williamson too, this whole chat about loading, I know you've picked up on this, Rachel, seems to be like the the word of the moment. Emma Hayes has been talking about it in interviews. Jonas Adeval has been talking about it in interviews. And Serena Vigman has been talking about it a lot. Nikita Paris leaves the squad this week, won't be taking part in Tuesday night's game against Latvia due to the amount of football she's played, essentially. Gareth Southgate's talked about a lot, actually, with his England side, talking about players needing a rest and after long seasons and tournaments and things like that. Um, But, yeah, it seems to be the kind of theme in the moment and you sort of picked up on the fact that, yes, it's all well and good saying loading, but you're playing the majority of the same starting eleven in all these games. Yeah, I haven't heard this word so much uh, as I have in the last year. I never really picked up on it with with other squads, really. Um, And now it's all they keep talking about. Serena Wiegmann talks a lot about loading and how important it is to look after the players, of course, especially with the year they've had and the year that's coming. Um, But then at the same time, you're having players like Leah Williamson playing great that she was captain but playing 90 minutes every time against teams that they're battering 10-0 Mary Earps in goal not even seeing sight of the ball you know and you've got players on the bench that aren't even getting a chance or a look in or caps now I know that Serena is not sentimental and that's fine she doesn't have a lot of time before the home Euros she wants to get her best 11 but I think you can't talk about loading and then play players who are in the Olympics playing every game for their club, coming in to play these games where realistically you don't really need them. And then they end up getting injured like we saw with Leah Williamson. So it's good to see that you're starting to have um, domestic team managers and international managers talking. Jonas Eidevel had Viv um, sent home uh, from before the Japan game again. Keith's going home. Hopefully we can see a little bit more of that because it's a busy, busy couple of years coming yeah. in. I mean, Chloe, what's your opinion on this? Because initially I've been really impressed just because of the circumstances, because of the context of the, of what Serena Vigman has to do with this England side. Not a lot of time. And she needs to turn them into winners, really. We know the expectations that they win the home Euros next summer. So I can understand why she is not here for pity caps to be handed out to Katie Zellum. Jess Carter did come on the, the other night, but she's had a few camps now where she'd get on the pitch. Lucy Sanavorth in the last camp, I think came on once. You know, Sandy McIver, um, Hannah Hampton probably won't play it in on Tuesday night either. How do you feel about that? If you were seeing on the sidelines, knowing as Katie Zellum, you've now had four camps potentially where you haven't got a single cap. You're still waiting for your first England cap. They're winning games 10-0 and you won't even get five minutes. Is that something you can take one for the team? And I know players will often say, you yeah, know, I know it's all about the group and it's all about that. Or would that really knock your confidence? 
I think you'd definitely be disappointed for sure. Um, you know, there are obviously, there've been opportunities there for her to step on, um, even just to get sort of 10 minutes, get that first cap. And I think just to even build confidence, because I think that's one of the things that you want to be mindful of is that, you know, you definitely want a starting, you know, consistent 11. You, you again, want to be building confidence with that squad and you want to be, you know, building something massive for, for next year. But in terms of kind of the rotation, you need to also be careful of those players who aren't left behind, who don't feel like second class players, who, you know, are sort of suffering with low confidence, thinking that they're not good enough to be starting all the time. And, you know, it's, it's such a it's such a good opportunity, I think, for, um, you know, for, for squad rotation when you've got easier matches. And it in terms of kind of the, the way that you'd feel is... Yeah, 100% disappointed. But at the same time, you've got to exercise that level of professionalism is that, you know, you know, if the boss has said that it's not your time, it's not your time. That doesn't mean that it won't come along at some other point. Um, but I would just be mindful of, you know, once they do get that opportunity, you would be shaking. You'd be very nervous to be stepping out onto the pitch uh, for that first time when you hadn't been given those those minutes beforehand. So I think it's um, it's very much a mental game in when you're sort of on the bench for, for long periods of time. And it's about whether you can actually go on and and do the business when you're called when you're called to action. Do you think it's going to be hard as well for Jordan Nobbs to really cement herself as a regular starter for England ever really since her injury before the World Cup? Just because she's had other niggles, she doesn't quite seem the same player, mainly because she hasn't really got a, a significant run in any team because of fitness. Do you think it's going to be really hard for her to sort of work her way into Serena Bingham's plans now because England almost got used to her not being there, that it's like now you have to like rebrand of the Jordan Nobbs coming back in? Maybe. I think for me, Jordan Nobbs was always a noticeable absentee from that team. And I think, I remember someone saying like, if we Jordan Nobbs at the World Cup, we could have won it. Slide over exaggeration, but I do think that... <laughs> there she, are some real like hardcore. Jordan Nobbs super fans oh, yeah. who literally I could not believe every single time she out I'm like, there are lots of good players yeah. in this country. Like, No, that's, this is true. But I do <laughs> think like you noticed Jordan Nobbs when she's not there, you notice England plays slightly different and there is a gap there. It is tricky for her because she like you say she needs to get that run of games in order to get her form back and I think what's going to happen is England are going to potentially come up they are going to come up against some tough opposition in this February tournament and they might realise then that that's where Jordan Nobbs fits in um, it might take a couple of losses or a couple of difficult uh, performances for that realisation to hit home but also you know she's only just come into camp so Serena's also looking a lot at what people are doing on the pitch in those camps and maybe that's why we're not seeing some of these players who haven't got caps or have only just got called up not kind of coming onto the pitch because it's maybe not happening in training for them at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm hoping by the Euros she will get her spot back because I think that's where we're lacking. Obviously, as well, lots of other countries have been in international action. Rachel, you were in Ireland watching Ireland frustratingly draw against Slovakia. Not a great result. And it is crunch time now because they have to win against Georgia Tuesday night. Otherwise, they are screwed. Pretty much, yeah. And uh, we've been in this position a couple of times before, so it does make me slightly nervous. Um, I think they underestimated Slovakia a little bit following on some really good performances. Obviously, they beat Australia in a friendly. They had a really, really good performance against Sweden. Um, and I think they came out, yeah, underestimating Slovakia. Um, they just weren't, you know, on it in the first half. And they caught, they were caught sleeping at the beginning of the second and Slovakia got a goal back. Ireland were lucky not to get more goals. But on the flip side, Louise Quinn pulled off this unreal goal line clearance. So I think they kind of breathed a sigh of relief that they did actually get that draw. It's a little bit frustrating. A lot of the time when they don't qualify or they're in these positions, it's down to their own shortcomings. It's it's not necessarily because 
they've come up against some super team that's battered them. So they have to win against Georgia. And then it's all going to come down to those matches against Finland because it's definitely between them uh, and Finland for the second spot. Mm. Another nation that really should be pushing on a little bit with the talent that they have at this very moment. Obviously, they lost Kim Little. She's retired from international duty. But both Ireland and Scotland have unbelievable talent in their teams at the moment. And you've got to capitalise on that. And I think it'll be really frustrating for Scotland if they don't get that playoff spot. They're in a good position now. They haven't lost a game yet. But they face Spain on Tuesday night, who I think haven't lost in a couple of years. Uh, obviously we all know how good they are based off the fact that a lot of the team play in Barcelona and they're a growing nation, evolving nation, a lot of big expectations on them at the Euros. So Scotland have a really good chance of getting that playoff spot. But they've got to put away sides like this. They've just I think, you know, you talk about a ruthlessness of England. I think for some of the smaller nations in and around the UK, there is an arrogance that's lacking, I think. I think it's a lack of arrogance. I think and and that comes also with certain players who are playing at an elite level and others that are not, which is totally understandable because you've got a huge gap even within certain teams, which is really difficult. You were talking about that with, with the Irish team. You've got players who are playing the WSL and players who are still playing amateur. Like That's a hard balance to strike. And you've got certain players like Louise Quinn or Erin Cuthbert who are you know playing an unbelievable level, played all around the world, played in title-winning sides, who are almost trying to carry a lot of other players with them on that journey. It feels, for me, Scotland actually frustrate me more than Ireland because it, there are too many standout players in that Scotland team to not be playing better. Totally. And we talked about with England having their domestic form not transferring over to international. And I think that's what's happening with Scotland at the moment. It's just not like the passes aren't connecting. The fluidity isn't there. You know, even individually, players who we would normally see banging an absolute screamer it's not happening at international. I think actually Erin Cuthbert said after the game herself, she wants them to be more ruthless because I think there is just, there's naturally going to be more of that competitive edge, right? When you're in a title winning team, I mean, you played in the Spurs team that won the championship. When you're part of a winning team, you, you, you're going to feel that more, you're going to feel that confidence and perhaps Erin maybe feels like she's not getting that from the rest of the, the, the team. Yeah, I think 100%, but that comes from kind of the consistency of performances. I think when you start to get yourself on a, on a winning streak, when you start to see, you know, two or three positive games coming together, even if you don't win them, but you know how well you've performed, then you build from that. But it's, it's try, kind of get that momentum almost in the first place. And I, don't, I think this is where these teams have struggled. And, and you rightly said, I think it's because of the gap in talent. You've got the absolute top of the top playing world-class you know football and then you've got players who are you know fairly young inexperienced haven't been at major tournaments before playing at sort of a, a fairly low level so it's going to take time I think um, but yeah consistency is key to try and get that momentum. I think with Scotland as well as long as Erin Cuthbert's in really good form which she is this season that gives them a really good shot at qualifying because she will carry a lot of their chances with her I mean she does not give up she is a, I know it sounds cringe to say but she's a proper brave heart mentality sort of player and she loves Scotland so much she takes so much pride in wearing that shirt and so if if anyone's gonna make sure they give themselves a good chance of qualification it's her yeah but it's it's not just her like when you look at the spine of that team you've you, Jen Beattie you've Caroline Weir you've got Lisa Evans you know you've got some really really strong players straight like right through the middle it's similar with Ireland you've got some really strong players in defence and midfield it's it's kind of those like not players on the side, but those kind of it's getting the rest of the players up to that level. But I think the important thing is having those key players in the spine of the team. Um, I think that's what's going to help it push them further. Um, but yeah, with both sides, it's going to take a while. Ireland's obviously never qualified. Scotland have, so they they have that taste of what it means to get to a major tournament. 
for me, I don't know. Pedro is a bit of a surprise appointee as manager um, and whether he can get the best out of those players, I guess only time will tell. He had a difficult time at Arsenal as well. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he can do with that Scottish team. Northern Ireland, two really big wins against North Macedonia. Rachel Furness breaking David Healy's record as Northern Ireland's record goal scorer. Um, they're flying as well. I think though, though, that's what I mean about those big wins where it's funny because I think when it's England with these big wins, everyone looks at it like, oh, it's a bit, a bit harsh, isn't it? You should put 10 past Latvia. But when it's someone like Northern Ireland, we're like, wow, here we go. You are punishing. You're punishing teams. And and sometimes you have to do that when you have the better talent. You have to punish what's in front of you and build that confidence. And I think it's brilliant for Northern Ireland to get such emphatic wins ahead of the Euros, give themselves a really good chance of qualifying because they want to push Austria for that second spot. Imagine if they qualify for the World Cup off the back of the Euros. It'd be ridiculous. Well, I think it's really interesting is when England does have those matches where they score loads and loads of goals and everyone says, oh, bring back the qualification stages. These small teams shouldn't be in, in these kind of group stages, whatever. And if that was the case, Northern Ireland wouldn't be in it. So actually Northern Ireland are kind of showing the importance of these opportunities to play, not only play the smaller teams, build their confidence, get lots of goals, which is we're definitely seeing huge confidence in that Northern Ireland team in possession, taking shots from all over the shop. Um, but it also gives them confidence going into the bigger games and into the against bigger teams. Um, and I think that's key, giving teams like Northern Ireland those opportunities. You can see what they can do with them. They've qualified now for the Euros and potentially for a World Cup would be unreal. But I think it wasn't really surprising. I think when you kind of look at the form of Northern Ireland, not just on the field, but everything that's going on behind the scenes, I mean, they're going from strength to strength and it's, it is now translating to, to better performances. I mean, you know, you were touched on the first time they're qualifying for, for the Euro 2022 and that's that's absolutely bloody massive for them. But, you know, they're also having discussions about the, you know, the equal pay situation and they're employing a new director of women's football. And, you know, when you look at Fernie now becoming, and she's an absolute legend, she's the loveliest person I know in football, um, now becoming their top goal scorer. And you think, you know, this is massive like positive press for them so you know credit to them because that you know the performances that you're now seeing uh, are, are based on everything going on behind the, sc- the scenes and the and the, the talent of the players so credit big, big win for, for Wales as well against Greece another team that was gutted about not calling I mean it felt like England Northern Ireland qualified for the Euros Northern Ireland's qualification was huge um, you know Kenny Shields calls it one of the greatest moments in British sporting history but then you look at the disappointment of Wales and Scotland and also the impact of them not qualifying, both managers leaving after the, after failing to qualify. Real disappointment for a lot of those squads. It's kind of like half the UK's are going with one trajectory and the others sort of stagnated a little bit. So it's interesting to see what happens with the rest of their qualification campaigns. We've also got to pull one out for Brazilian legend Formiga because she paid, played her last international game at the weekend, getting her 234th cap at the age of 43. Madness, there's time for us all. There is time for us all. Never give up, guys, because you you two could still be playing at a World Cup or an Olympic game. She played at seven World Cups and seven Olympics. Just the seven? Just the seven, just a casual seven. There was Um, never an Olympics without her, right? With women's football in it? I think she's played in every single one that had women's football in it. That's madness. You might be right, yeah. That's mad. Um, I also think it's hopeful as well that Marta could potentially play for another sort of like 10 years or so. I would like to see that. Does she want um, to? <laughs> nah, she doesn't matter if she wants to, she's got to. <laughs> um, but there was, a, the, the only thing was, I think a lot of people were disappointed at Formiga's sort of farewell tour 
Um, I know Tim Stillman, who who um, covers Brazilian football a lot, speaks Portuguese, so you know is is really tapped into that world. Was saying everything around the sort of farewell occasion wasn't great. They could have hosted it in her, you know, hometown, home city, home region. Tickets went on sale really late or something like that, and also. She only got given what, um, like fifteen minutes. Minute, yeah. uh, and I think a lot of people were disappointed with Pia Sunderhager's approach to it when they asked her after the game, and she just said, "Well, then she's not part of our future plans." It kind of goes back to what we said: this sort of ruthlessness. It's like, you know, think about what Car- the the farewell tour that Carly Lloyd got for the US. Oh my god! This is what I was thinking. It was like it was like the president had died, and they were doing like carrying you know the coffin around the whole country. Millions were spent. It literally was <laughs> unbelievable. Goodbye. The Carly Lloyd farewell tour was, that was excessive to say the least. And for me, it gets bloody fifteen minutes. That was a serious. Is it a French exit? No, that's when you go and don't say anything. That's it's Irish a, exit. Isn't and it? I, yeah, it's a that's British a exit bomb. when you say you're leaving and then take absolutely ages to do it. Right? Yeah, that's totally. a British exit. So that's what Carly Lloyd did. She hung around and yeah. hung around. Like she gone yet? No, she's still here. Um, We're over it, hun. You're retired. (laughs) Leave. We're over it. I think everyone's kind of ready to move on, and you're just like going and going. Whereas we got the opposite with her. Missed a trick there. Um, I I wasn't maybe as outraged as everybody. I mean, it was savage, but at the same time, like I think sometimes your expectations of you know this is going to be my fiftieth cap, I should get it, or this is going to be my hundredth cap, I should get it. It's you know, I guess Pia was just being uh, ruthless, as you say, but a bit, you know, harsh. She, it's Formiga. She's not going to come on and have a crap game, is she? Um, oh, well, she's exactly. not going to come on and put the team at risk. Uh, and like, didn't her mom fly out? And her mom's afraid of flying. Like, I mean, oh, that's sad. Yeah, oh, I was just about to say. And that's like, the same with the Jordan King when she arrived. That's the same with the Jordan Nobbs thing, right? It's like her whole family were in Sunderland. She's from the area. Like everyone was ready for this homecoming and. She didn't even get on the pitch. But Jordan Hobbs isn't going to have like a terrible game for you either. It's not going to put you at risk. These I think coaches um, are brutal, man. It's about respect though, I think. you know, Obviously no one wants a, a pity play, but at the same time, it's not a pity play when you've got one of the best players in the world with one of the most extensive histories in the world. So, you know, giving her 15, 20 minutes at the end of a game as a, as a farewell is, is absolutely, that's crap. Yeah, Carly Lloyd India. got like five games. <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. by Lucy Bronze means it's unstoppable and so are England. FA Cup final on Sunday. I am so excited. Honestly, this is my dream final. I'm expecting fireworks. I can't wait. 40,000 tickets gone already. I think they could push for the record because the record's what, like 45 or 48,000, I think, for an FA Cup, something like that. So I think they could get 50. I think this is the stuff of dreams, the rivalry, the managers, the players, some of the best players in the world. I'm so excited for yeah. this. This I'm, is huge. Uh, this is absolutely bloody huge. Massive. Are you, you going to be there? Um, 
I'm not too sure, weirdly enough. Get your ticket. Um, <laughs> have, you got a, have you got a game? I know there's some cup games this weekend. Uh, I haven't got a game. Okay. We're supposed to be doing the uh, Palace Christmas Social um, that day. Do it at Wembley. Well, that's what I was kind Two of thinking. Box, I'll see you at Box Park afterwards. We'll have a few pints. Oh, It'll be great. God, Box Park. <laughs> I know, it's horrible, but come on. That plays the memories. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think it's going to go well over 40,000. I mean, I know that the FA are now handing out tickets to the WSL and the Championship Clubs um, to try and get more people in. I think they're handing them out to schools as well. So I think we'll go well over the, the 45, 48,000 for the record. Love I'm, it. I'm saying it. I hope the weather's not weather too dependent, crazy. Yeah. Trains dependent. Yeah. Yes. For, the, for the freebies, it's always hard sometimes with kids as well. Like you just don't know what's going to happen in the morning. They might be like, I don't want to go anymore. Yeah. And then, you know, it, it is what it is. The but, downside of not putting a value on a ticket. Yeah. Mm. But it's going to be... It's, it's going to be, be epic. Good. I'm so excited. I'm shooting pitch side. I've only shot pitch side at Wembley once and I've never done an FA Cup final. So I'm excited for the Beth Mead, you know where to go. Yeah. Yeah, Beth Mead, please. Come on. Yeah, I... There's some of the best players in the world. Like, and we're not just talking about the forwards either. Like, the midfield for both teams are unreal. Like, top goalkeepers. This fixture always delivers. Even when Chelsea battered Arsenal 3-1 last time out, it's still an unreal game. So, whatever the score, it's going to be good. Arsenal, on this season, you know, people have talked about how good they are and expectations for them to win the title. Who knows what's going to happen in the Champions League. Um, but... People are talking them up. People are really talking them up and they've played well. But when we talk about that first game at the Emirates, I know, I think we all sort of said Chelsea were maybe 70% as to where they could be and where maybe they are now. So we should expect to see a very different Chelsea team to I think we did on that opening day in the Emirates. I think we're, we're going to see a very different like Chelsea and Arsenal team. Um, I know Arsenal came out hot at the beginning of the WSL but at the same time Chelsea didn't play Fran Kirby didn't play um, Sam Kerr um, but also both teams have had some dodgy fixtures during the season as well like there's been performances where you could look at it and say another top team would exploit that mm. um, so for me I find it really hard to predict what's going to happen it very much depends how they line out how they play like you know we talked about Chelsea beating Man City 4-0 the other week but they didn't even play very well no Um Arsenal are missing Leah Williamson. I know Jen Beattie picked up a knock for Scotland, so potentially they could be missing Leah Volte at centre-back. Here we go. Well, you know, Chaos. And so that's the other thing. Who's going to line up where? So, yeah, I'm, God, I'm excited. It's- and things have changed since that as well because... Beth Mead played on that left-hand side in that game at the Emirates and caused absolute chaos. She was unreal, as we can see on the photo behind Rachel here. But actually, things have moved a little bit because Kate McCabe's now playing higher up the pitch. Seth Catley's been playing very well at left wing back and McCabe's now part of a front three on the left, which means Beth Mead moved to the right. And we haven't actually seen the best of her since she's moved to the right. So I'm intrigued to see what Jonas Adevel does. Manny Wibucci's also not been fully fit, hasn't been starting many games. Tobin Heath's had a little bit of a knock, doesn't really start that many games anyway. Nikita Paris is now you know, back in camp, maybe with the expectation of starting at the weekend. There's so many things Battle to of talk about. I is, think that is Panilla Harder going to be fit in time? There's just so many things. The drama. The I drama of it all. the kind of thing that's going to go to penalties. I can I, see I, it. I think, so my prediction, we're going to predictions, my prediction is two all Chelsea to win an extra time. Oh, actually, yeah. Aaron Cuthbert knee slide. But I also think we're going to see like... They're, both sides are going to talk up like, oh, we're not sure if this person's going to be fit or we can't confirm. Oh yeah, this. Hayes loves the mystery of it all. Idavel's going to do the same. This, yeah, totally. Without question. It's going to be a mind games. It's going to be battle of tactics. They're going to try and out-tactic each other. Both have kind of praised each other for that 
part of their game. Um, so it but really in like is... an almost like sarky way, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's I, funny. It's be good. I just love both Tasty. of them, their personalities, because you can kind of tell that they both don't really like each other. I love it. And I live for it. It's dramatic, it's, for sure. It's going to be so good. What are your guys, you think penalties? I reckon penalties. And who's going to win on pens? Ooh, Chelsea. It's, who's going to score the winning pen? Ooh. Harder. Jesse Fleming? Kirby. Kirby, okay. Um, Rachel? I, um, I, I kind of like your prediction about it going to extra time um, because what we're seeing from Arsenal this season is that, not that they go behind very often, but previously when they'd go behind, they'd struggle to get back into mm. it and I think they can get back into games when they There's go behind. There's more of a belief, isn't there? Yes, but Chelsea, I feel like, might edge them when it comes to ruthlessness. It's really, really hard to predict. I don't know. And also, if that's good, if it's going to be a lot of one way Leo Volti centre-back partnership, you know Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby are going to be licking their lips at the prospect of that. That or, is or tasty. Anna Patton, throw her in there as well. Oh, yeah, Anna Patton. Yeah, yeah. And she can push up and play in like defensive midfield. I, I'm well. interested to see who he plays at left-back, whether he'll pull Katie McKay back. Um, I mm. think, for me, she's a little bit more solid in defence than Steph. Um, and you've got Beth Mead to put in the left wing. So... Yeah, I think I can't wait to see who's going to line up and how they're going to line up. Is it going to be three at the back for Chelsea? Oh, I don't know. Who knows? It's so exciting. And if you haven't got a ticket yet, what are you doing? What the hell are you doing with your life? Get it. What the hell are you doing with your life if you're not going to be at Wembley on Sunday? Make sure you were there. It's going to be so, 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 so good. Um, I mean, we normally say where we're going to be this weekend, but we're all going to be bloody Wembley. <laughs> Can you tell? I mean, you're oh. sacking up your Christmas party yeah, absolutely. to be there. Um, there's not really not much else to well, say. Well, we've got Doncaster tonight. Lovely Doncaster. Can't wait. Sunny Doncaster. Rachel and I are going to be in sunny Doncaster this evening. I'm so jealous. Again, yeah, this you're is missing so out on the, on the trip up. Um, oh, gosh. Well, yeah, we're going to be jumping on the train shortly. Um, so that's, yeah, Rachel and I have to catch a train in literally like now. So um, that's all we've got time for today on Upfront on Football Ramble Presents. If you've got any questions for us, tweet us at Football Ramble, at Floyd Tweet, which is me, at Girls on the Ball, which is Rachel, or at Morgie, i.e., got to make sure I make that clear, underscore 89, should be Morgie, underscore 69. We'll see you all next week. What? Football Ramble Presents is a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creator Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.